So with that, we're going to jump into the message today. I am very excited to get to uh, speak with you for just a little bit. We're going to continue on in our Centered series where we're looking at different practices that we need to center our life upon so that we can be healthy in the coming year that God has for us. And I believe one of the things that we need to center our life on is we need to be centered in fellowship with the Lord in 2022. We need a renewed understanding of what it means to be in fellowship with the Lord. We need a renewed passion to be in fellowship with the Lord, and we need a renewed urgency to be in fellowship with the Lord. How do you have fellowship with God? That is an interesting question if you stop and ponder it for a moment. And there's two primary ways in which we have fellowship with the Lord. It is through prayer and through worship. And today, I want to specifically zone in on worship. When you start to dive into the book of Acts, you will notice that the first believers, there was a lot of reference to the gathering where they came and it says that they broke bread with one another. And then you will turn most of the time down a few sentences and you'll see where it says, and they ate meals in each other's homes. Well, when you start to look into the breaking of bread, that was a reference to communion and it was a devotion that the early church centered themselves on. And what this teaches us is that communion as worship was a central example of what true worship looks looks like in the life of a believer. Now, you might be here, and you might be new to church, or you might have been in church for a long time, and, and you come, and you sing the songs, but you, you're, you're, what is real worship? What does that really look like? Well, communion helps us understand what worship is in our life. Now, if you're unfamiliar with communion, it's a time where believers gather together to look towards the body of Christ to remember and proclaim the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in their life. And I want to start by reading a passage of Scripture. It will be familiar to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And we're going to read a few verses that just recap the communion experience that Jesus instituted on the night that he was betrayed. Verse 23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this and remember remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, as I said, when we start looking through scripture, we see that communion was a central act of worship for the first believers. And when we also look in scripture, we see that communion was a very holy and very reverent time for for these believers. So today, I'm going to be taking more of a somber approach to this message, a more reverent tone to this message, because we want to understand that when we're talking about communion, we're not just talking about drinking a little bit of juice from a cup and eating a wafer that tastes a little bit stale. We're talking about stopping and remembering what Jesus has done for our life. We're trying to stop and remember his death, which is for our cleansing and for our salvation. We're trying to remember his resurrection, which means that we have a hope in in heaven. And this is why the first believers took communion so seriously. Acts chapter 2, 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayers. 
The very first church devoted themselves to a few things, and one of those things that they devoted themselves to was stopping on a regular basis to remember the work that Jesus had done in their life. Even as the church continued to mature, several years later in Acts 20, verse 7, it says this, on the first day of the week when they were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them and intended to depart the next day. He prolonged in his speech until midnight. Now, Let's just push pause real quick. If I start preaching until midnight, none of you guys are going to stick around that long, right? But what started that event is that they took communion together. It is a difficult concept for us to realize in our modern worship services that communion would be such a, a central aspect of worship for the first believers. When we think of worship, oftentimes what we think of is when we come together for a song service and we sing and lift up our voices and lift up our hands to the Lord, singing about His glory and what He has done in our life. And indeed, that would be worship, and it is worship, and it constitutes worship, and it's an important part of worship. However, just as singing is worship to God, so is too stopping and taking communion, remembering what God has done for our life. That is also worship. So I want to get a disclaimer out here on the front end that I'm not advocating that we stop singing songs. It is biblical to sing to the Lord, but what I am advocating for in this message and what we want to center ourselves on this year is that we want a holistic approach of worship. We want to view worship as a lifestyle and not an event that happens on Sunday morning. Amen? I'm advocating that we as a church want to center our life on true fellowship with the Lord that spills over into our Monday and our Tuesday, our Wednesday, our Thursday, and our Friday. Now, communion teaches us the ideal of worship, and communion teaches us a template for all forms of worship. Why would communion be a template and an ideal of worship? Well, communion is an ideal because Jesus himself instituted it. We just read a moment ago that the Lord Jesus himself, the night he was betrayed, was the one that gave the pattern of communion for the first believers. But on top of that, communion is also a template because the principles that make communion worship are the same principles that apply to every other form of worship within our life. So if you want to understand uh, communion as an ideal and as a template, you start to look into this, we understand one thing from the get-go, that our worship, if our worship is not proclaiming, remembering, and participating what Jesus Christ has done, then it's not worship at all. If our worship is self-centered, if our worship is us-centered, then it's not worship. If you want to know and you want a litmus test, if you are worshiping Jesus in your actions and your, your lifestyle, is what I'm doing or what I'm saying or what I'm practicing pointing to the work of Jesus Christ? If it is, then it is worship. But if it's not, then it is for our own benefit only. What is worship? Worship is a lifestyle where I live to declare the character of God, the works of God, and the glory of God. And with this understanding, we see very quickly that communion is a true sense of worship pushing pause to proclaim and to participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, pointing to his glory, pointing to how he is God and God alone. That shows his character, his works, and his glory. Communion is sitting at the Lord's table and delighting in the Lord Jesus himself. It is recognizing what he has done for you, and it is, li is living with an understanding of those effects in your life. That is the essence of worship. That is the essence of having fellowship with Jesus. So how does this lifestyle bring us into fellowship with the Lord? You know, oftentimes when you want to go to foster a relationship, you have to put some heat into the relationship. You have to put some effort into the relationship. There might be people in this room, and we're going to talk about it next week. You, you see them in passing, and you might know their name. You might not know their name, but you're like, man, that's, that's a good person. I bet I'd have a lot of fun if I associated with that person. And you think to yourself, I should eat dinner with them someday. And then that someday never comes. 
How many of you ever been there before? And it's dark in the room, amen? <laughs> Come on, somebody. I guess, is that their sign they're telling me I need to stop talking already? I've just started. Somebody's coming out with a hook. You think to yourself, I need to have, break bread with this person. But then that day never comes. Have you ever been there? That day turns into one week, turns into two months, turns into two years, and you see that person every week. You may or may not know their name, but you never broken bread with them. But then, have you ever had an experience where you went and you ate with somebody and you kind of became good friends after that, and now you know a little bit about their life, and every time you see them in church, you stop, you shake their hand, you talk to them a little bit? Has anybody ever experienced that besides me? Here's the deal. There's something powerful about breaking bread with someone. And what Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, he said, this is my body and this is my blood. And when we stop and we remember that, it brings us into fellowship with the Lord. It brings us closer to the Lord. What Paul is speaking to in 1 Corinthians is how to worship is a reflection of our spiritual condition. When you start to want to know what your spiritual condition looks like, if you want to take a test of your spiritual condition, then look at how you worship. If your worship is in order, then chances are your spiritual condition is in order. But when your worship is off-center, chances are that you're sick and dying. Worship does not change our spiritual condition as much as it shows us what we truly believe about Jesus. And our passage is going to make very clear that while worship to Jesus is to be Jesus-centered and it is to be enjoyed in the body, human nature will always turn worship into a me-centered and a solitary experience. For the sinner, worship always happens at an altar of self. And most of the time, that is in the form of self-indulgence and pleasure. But for the Christian, me worship often becomes about our taste, our preferences, and our pleasures within worship. And it is not, while it is not as bad on the surface as pagan worship, it is no less sinful. In fact, Paul said that they are doing more harm than good. So we have to understand something from the very beginning. There is a weight and there is gravity to communion. And here's the big idea. Communion is a worship element that Jesus himself gave us to be in fellowship with him. I want to turn back a few pages into 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and I'm going to read to you starting in verse number 14, and here's what the scripture says. Therefore, my beloved, free from idolatry, I speak as a sensible, to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the blood, uh, in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God, and I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot participate in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we invoke, provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? Paul is writing to the, the Corinthian Christians, and he is writing to this church about their worship. There were several areas in their worship lifestyle that needed to be addressed and corrected, and one of the big ways that Paul was writing to them about was why and how they engage in communion and worship. And Paul is teaching them here about idol worship and that it has no place in the life of a believer. He then teaches us the gravity of communion as worship. He said that taking communion is a participation of 
in the Lord's death. And that word participation has some weight to it. There's a seriousness to what Paul is saying. The word participation in the original language means fellowship. It means to share with someone in something. So when we take communion as worship, we are fellowshipping with the Lord and we are sharing with him and remembering his death, his burial, and his resurrection in our life. Think about the practical implications of this first meal. Jesus is present with his disciples and he is fellowshipping with them. There is is camaraderie in this room on the night that he is betrayed. And then according to 1 Corinthians chapter number uh, 5 verse 3 through 5, while Jesus was with them on the night he was betrayed, when we gather as a body, Jesus is still here among us. So just as he was instituting communion on the night that he was betrayed, so too when we gather to take communion, Christ is here with us and we are eating from his table. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't go to someone else's house as a guest and be disrespectful at their table. I would go to their house with reverence. If you invited me over, I wouldn't show up to your house looking like a bum, right? I'd show up ready to present myself in a way. If I went to your house and you invited me to your house and I was eating at your table, I wouldn't make it about me. If you laid something in front of me, I wouldn't complain and gripe about it. If I went to your house to eat and you put a hamburger on my plate and I said, you know, this isn't really like the seasoning I like. Can you take this back and try again? I wouldn't do that. Why? Because it'd be disrespectful. And you wouldn't either. If you go to someone else's table, you honor that table. And what we're trying to understand today is that when we gather in this house, we are at the Lord's table. He is with us and he is among us. He is gathered here with us. And when we break bread and we drink from his cup, It is a participation by remembering and sharing what he has done in our life. Taking communion, in a sense, is very real because Christ is here with us. We are sitting at his table. Now, this understanding of communion makes perfect sense. This is how we associate with one another, as we said a moment ago. And when we come to the table and we remember what the Lord did, we allow the truth of the gospel to penetrate our heart, and there should be joy that comes from that. Now, we need to understand something very quickly. What this is not telling us is that we are somehow consuming the actual flesh and blood of Jesus Christ or that we're actually killing him again. There are some that teach it that participation at the Lord's table and participation in his death means that we're crucifying him again. That would not be true. And some teach that when we take communion that we're actually consuming the actual blood and body of Jesus. However, we understand that when we start reading the totality of Scripture that there is a symbolic representation of a spiritual reality in taking communion. When Jesus said that this was his body and his blood, he was being symbolic in saying that just as he said he is the gate and the door. We understand that when he He's saying that he is referencing a spiritual truth and a spiritual reality. Jesus is not a door, a literal piece of wood hanging on hinges. He's speaking symbolically. So when Paul says that this communion is a participation in the death of Christ, his words are obvious. If Jesus' body was not broken, there is, no, there is no salvation. If his blood is not shed, there is no forgiveness of sin. So taking communion brings me into fellowship where I'm forced to look at the cross. And when we take communion as a church, you have one of two options. You can go through the motions, or you can understand the implication of what this really means. You can, you can, you can just do a religious thing, or you can really stop and say, wow, what Jesus' work did changes my life. And how much more powerful is it to share at the table 
with fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, looking back at a singular sacrifice that has affected thousands and thousands upon millions upon millions. This is a picture of true worship. It's singing true worship 100%. It's living as a spiritual sacrifice according to Romans 12. Worship, absolutely. However, the gravity of communion teaches me that worship is not something that I do to make me feel better. It is a moment when I stop and I fellowship with the Lord. If I'm going to have true fellowship and true worship with the Lord, then I have to dwell on His glory, and I have to dwell on His sacrifice. Now, I hope to this point I've done an okay job of laying out the gravity and the implications of communion as worship in our life. Now, I want to dive in and look at some of the instructions that were given to us. If you would, back in chapter 11, we're going to start in verse number 17. Here's what the scripture has to say. Paul's writing to the believers. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not command you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worst. Pause. Could you imagine being in the church where Paul is writing and says, when you guys come together in church, it is no benefit to you. It is not better that you're gathering together. It is worse that you are getting together. Boy, you talk about a strong rebuke. For in the first place, when you come together as a church... I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating one goes ahead with his own meal, and one goes hungry while another gets drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance for me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and of the cup, and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give direction when I come. Now, when you look at this passage... We see two parts right off the top. First, we see the problem with our worship, and the second, we see as we, uh, how we should approach worship as our lives, participating, proclaiming, and remembering the Lord's death. And I want to kind of break those two parts apart, and I want to start first with the problem of worship. It's obvious from the opening passage that this is a rebuke. Why is Paul rebuking the church? Well, communion was most likely taken in conjunction with a common meal. We see from the book of Jude, verse 12, that there is a reference to agape meals of believers together. And we can do some investigative work and kind of understand that it would appear that in the first church, communion was taken as meals in homes, and they were most likely done together. 
Now, there was probably one of two problems that Paul is addressing. He said that there are some who have and are excluding those who do not have. He said, some of you are getting together and eating before everybody else shows up. You're eating, getting fat and drunk, and you're taking from people who don't have anything. So we don't exactly know what he's addressing, but the kind of the assumption is, is that there were people who had homes, were inviting the church over to have a meal with them, except that they would, they would get their, uh, all their friends, they would invite all their friends over first and everybody would eat, and then the people that they didn't know or they didn't like or didn't have anything to contribute to the meal would show up and they would have whatever's left. The other assumption might be, looking at architectural designs of that day, that there would be the house and then there would be the porch or the patio or the, the outdoor seating area, whatever you want to call it. The other assumption is, is that the people who had homes invited the church over, they would tell all their friends, you sit in here with me. If I don't know you or I don't like you, you sit out there. And they would divide the church reference to division. We don't know for sure, but what we do know is that there was division in the moment that they were taking communion and some people were getting abundance and some people were being left out. So we see what Paul is very angry about is that this thing that is supposed to be bringing the church together, because he says there's one cup, there's one bread, there's one body, is now being separated by people's preferences and by people's tastes. And he says, you are doing more harm than good. The church was not failing together. They were gathering as the Lord had called them, where they were failing was to represent one body united by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Paul makes the case very clear that division is not good. But then he says something interesting. He said factions are bound to happen. What does he mean by that? He's meaning this. He said true believers are always going to be separated from non-believers. He's basically saying we throw everybody in a room long enough and we judge each other's actions. We'll see who really believes in Jesus and who doesn't. And what he's basically getting to is when you divide yourselves and you have ought against your brother while you're taking communion or you exclude people while you take communion, you're a judge and that you don't really believe what this means anyways. Wow. That's harsh. In verse 23 through 26, then Paul gives us what communion is supposed to be. This is what was given by the Lord Jesus. And Paul says that he receives from the Lord... And then he says that the Lord Jesus established the order of communion. So when we depart from what God intended and what he instituted, we are ultimately departing from the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus took a piece of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. This bread that we take represents the body of Jesus and it's on behalf of that body that we are now saved. And what's amazing is, is now scripture says we, according to 1 Corinthians 12, are the body. The body is gathering together to remember the body of Christ. He commanded his disciples to do this in remembrance of him. When Jesus said in remembrance of me, he's speaking more than in just memory. It's an active remembrance. You know, there's different things that we do. Some of you, you had loved ones that have passed away, and on Memorial Day, you go and you decorate their grave. It's an active remembrance. You don't just say, I remember the person. You actually do something as a sign of respect to the person. So too, when we gather and we take the body, we're not standing over an an empty, we are not standing over a full grave, we're standing over an empty tomb. And we're saying, because this body is no longer here, so too I have hope. The problem with the Corinthians is that their worship time was all about them. Christ was not remembered. Their time of worship had became a time to satisfy their appetites. And I'm concerned that if we're not careful, our worship time becomes more about what we want and what we like than it becomes about Christ. 
as a believer, I'm just as guilty of this on my own. I, just like you, I'm sure, have a preference to the song that's sang, the way the preacher preaches, the volume, the temperature of the room, the atmosphere. In fact, before I was hot sitting over here and I ran back to Brad during handshaking time, I was like, hey, can you turn my fan on for me? Why? Because I like to be comfortable, right? So if you're sitting in this section and you're cold, I apologize. Uh, you can shut the fan off for them, Brad, if you'd like. Um, we are, by nature, self-centered. But I'm worried that when I bring all of my wants and my desires to worship, then I'm failing to recognize Christ. Because then it becomes about me. Church and worship as a consequence then becomes a consumer experience. And that's exactly what had happened to the Corinthian church. Communion is not just a memorial. It's an act of remembering the effect of the Lord's death for us. And so our worship time is not a time of feel-good experience. Rather, it's a time to reflect on God, who He is, and what He's done for us. And that fellowship will have a byproduct, and that byproduct is that we then do feel good. Because we understand the guilt and the shame is no longer hanging off our bodies. He has, as the song said, rolled the grave. You, some of you men, as you were boys, you wrestled. And you'd roll your friend and just whoop their rear end. That's what Jesus did at the grave. That's what we remember. If we fail to realize that, we're bringing judgment on ourselves. Now, they were taking communion in an unworthy way. And they were actually experiencing death instead of salvation. He says, some of you are getting sick and dying. Wow. And that raises an interesting question, because I don't know about you, but I don't want to get sick and die if I take communion wrong. So what is he talking about? What is the unworthy manner? Paul was not necessarily addressing sin. And yes, of course, we would want to never take communion with open rebellion in our heart. We would never want to take communion when there's sin dwelling in our life. We want to get that correct. But when you look in the context and what Paul is saying is an unworthy manner, he is referring them to stand against their brothers and sisters and worshiping on their own pleasure. Worshiping in a way that doesn't remember Christ. So when we turn worship into a self-indulgent experience, we are sinning against the Lord, and we're going to be held accountable for sinning against His death. We are acting like the religious leaders that preferred their pattern of worship over the truth of Jesus Christ. And this sounds very harsh, but this is also what Paul is speaking to. We are a body. True worship is never individualistic. It needs to happen in community because community is a level playing field where we all need one another. I want you to understand this. If you look around and say, man, I don't need the person next to me, then you're missing the whole point of what this scripture tells us. You need to flip over another page to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and start reading through the scripture and see the heaviness that comes when you understand we are the body of Christ and we need one another. In our culture today, we put a lot of emphasis on the moment between you and the Lord in our worship time. And there's no doubt that there are intimate moments in the Lord in a personal way. And you can worship the Lord in your car. You can worship Him in your house. You can worship Him in the woods. You can worship Him in the church. And there are very personal, intimate moments between you and the Lord. But we need to understand that we can't have a full picture of worship if we only worship God on our own. We need a community around us. We need one another around us. We need to gather as a body. We learned this in 2020, right? I thank God that we have the opportunity to have all this media stuff, and it's been a great blessing for people who can't come. It's a great first uh, impression for people who are curious about coming to the church. There's countless things that are unbelievably amazing and a blessing about um, having the opportunity through the media to present this on Facebook and YouTube and all the other places that we do. But make no mistake about it, that we cannot replace watching our TV at home with gathering together with the saints. We need one another. And communion teaches us that.
Now that we understand the problem with the worship, let's move into the ideal, which is the second half of what Paul tells us here. Communion shows us how we should worship in our approaching the Lord. You'll notice that within 1 Corinthians, as I have said multiple times, that Paul relates communion to remembering, participating, uh, and proclaiming the Lord's death. True worship always has those elements involved in them. That's why communion is a perfect picture of worship. See, communion reminds us that worship is remembering the Lord's death. If you want to truly worship God, then you have to come to points in your life where you're consistently stopping and remembering what Jesus did before you. I love what Chad said earlier about the gentleman he met this last week. This guy remembered all of his sins. For a long time, he lived in that. And he said, now I'm no longer remembering that. I will run into some, somebody that I knew in my old life. They remember me, but I don't remember them. How amazing is that testimony that God is doing in his life? Why? Because the cross is overshadowing the sin. Communion is a point of remembrance. And I bet, I wish I could talk to this guy, I bet that there are people when he went back to his hometown and started serving that they remembered his sin when he first showed back up. He'd walk in, I bet they'd say, man, that was the guy who did all those drugs. Remember, man, we got to watch him. He might steal something while he's here. And I bet, this is just speculation, but I bet now when he walks into those places, I bet they, they don't say that anymore. Now they say, man, that guy right there, he's helping a lot of people. That guy right there, he's a good guy. You know what? That's what the cross does. It removes and crucifies the old man and makes us into a new creation. And let me tell you, there's times the enemy will try to dig up the grave of the old man and drag that corpse back behind you. And when that happens, you need to consistently come back to a place and say, no, it's by this body and by this blood that I am free. Communion reminds us that worship is proclaiming Jesus Christ's death. You see, when we take communion, we are telling the story of our redemption. Wow, think about that. His body, his blood was shed for me. Communion is pointing to the mechanics of how salvation happened. You have to understand something. We're not getting to heaven because we're good people. We're not getting to heaven because we did the right things. We're not getting to heaven because we go to church. We're not getting to heaven because we read our Bible. We're not going to heaven because we, read, we sang the song. We're not going to heaven because we gave $20 to the homeless man. We're not going to heaven because we serve in kids' men. We're not going to heaven because we held a baby in nursery. We're not going to heaven because we served in the cafe. We're not going to heaven because we helped somebody in the community. None of those things are going to get us into heaven. The only reason why we're going into heaven is because of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are saved and we are set free. So when I take communion, I'm painting a visible picture of the Lord's passion and his death, his burial, and his resurrection and what it meant for me in my life. I'm painting a tangible picture. Someone's like, man, I'd love to see Jesus. And that is cool. I've talked to people. I, I know this sounds crazy. But I've talked to people that have been under severe persecution in a third world country, and they said, I have seen Jesus. I was weeping. I saw Jesus. You know what I do? I believe them. I believe them. I think there are people who have. But you know what? If I bet if I took a poll of the room of those of us seeing Jesus, most of us haven't. But here's what we can see. We can see a visual representation of what he did for us. And we're proclaiming that to the world. It's not by my goodness that I'm going to heaven. It's not by my piety. It's not by my good deeds. It's by his body and his blood. Communion reminds us to participate in Christ's death. See, communion calls us to put to death our sins. How many of you are perfect in the room? Yeah, nobody raises a hand, right? How many of you have a perfect spouse? Yeah. Yeah. Greg knows what's up. See, we've got to suck up every now and then, right? Now we have to repent for lying, but, you know, we try. None of us are perfect. 
And there's a weight to this thing called communion. I've talked about it for two-thirds of this message, the weight of communion. So when we come to the Lord's table and you're holding these elements and you're thinking about his blood that was, or his body that was beaten and his blood that was shed, and you have ought against your wife, you don't think that this makes you push pause and say, I might need to fix this problem, this sin that I've committed between me and my wife. Can I get real with you for a moment? When you're sitting here and you're looking at this, the body and the blood, and you were looking on something on your phone that you shouldn't have earlier, this calls you to correct that. When you're sitting there and you want to rip the waitress after church while you're eating at the restaurant because she messed up your order and we all get in the flesh from time to time, this reminds us that this is more important than that. And that by his goodness, he was kind to us and we need to be kind to other people. When we're sitting there and somebody has sinned against us and they're never going to come say they're sorry, this reminds us that Jesus died for us before we said we're sorry to him. This calls us to live a life that mimics Jesus. Communion is incompatible with any other lifestyle than saying, Jesus, I'm truly 100% sold out to you. I want to close with this if the worship team will come back. Church, we need fellowship with the Lord. We need fellowship with the Lord. And this has been very heavy on my heart, even late into last year, saying, God, what are the things that we need to center our life on? And it was very clear very early on that I'm going to challenge the church to read the New Testament together. But there was a heaviness in my heart to make sure that we're walking in fellowship with the Lord every single day. You see, we come together as a church, and I'm thankful for the unbelievable musicians that we have on the stage. Don't they sound amazing? Like, there's times I'll sit here, and I'm like, man, that sounds good today. But you know, I told Charity, Charity and I were talking yesterday as we were driving back. Talent can just evoke emotion sometimes, right? Like, I don't know one thing that opera singers sing, but I can listen to them and say, man, that's really good. And music and stuff has an ability to move us emotionally. And some of that's good. Song lyrics. There are some unbelievable things that people have written and beautiful songs that you read the words and it just touches your heart. Moves you emotionally. The song Clean that they sang a moment ago. There's some powerful, powerful words in that song. And if you've lived that, where you say, man, I had shame and guilt and now I'm clean like that. If that doesn't strike a chord inside of your own heart, then maybe you haven't experienced it. But if we were to be genuinely real with ourselves, sometimes it's very easy to come on Sunday, sing with passion, and then walk out Monday and completely forget everything that we sang. Anybody ever been guilty of that besides me? So as I was praying, I was like, Lord, what... What do we do as a constant reminder? And so here's what we're going to do to center our life in 2022. Every Sunday for this year, from now until the end of the year, we're going to take communion at some point in our service together to remember. I told you I was going to approach this service with a level of reverence. And obviously today it was a very serious, somber tone because we're talking about a very serious, somber moment for the life of believers. But my prayer is this, not that we 
start a religious practice where we come and take communion on Sunday. But my prayer is that this practice for the next 51 weeks of this year remind us of what Christ has done for us. My prayer is that taking communion on Sunday reminds us to have fellowship on Monday. My prayer is that taking communion on Sunday reminds me that I have victory on Tuesday. My prayer when I take communion on Sunday reminds me to put to death the sin of my life on Wednesday. My prayer that we take communion on Sunday reminds me that I can't allow the weight of the world to bring me down on Thursday. When I take communion on Sunday, I hope that Friday it reminds me to care, carry and bear the fruit of the Spirit to everyone I come in contact with on Friday. My prayer is when I take communion on Sunday to remind me that the work is finished and I can rest on Saturday. That is why we do what we do. This reminds me of the work of the cross. And that is worship. So as I said, every point in this year, we're going to center ourselves on several things. We're centering ourselves on the Word, but we're also going to center ourselves on fellowship with God. And as a reminder for you to center your life every single day this year in fellowship with the Lord, once a week, we're going to stop and we're going to remember at some point in our service what He has done for us. Remember the cross. If you would, please stand with me this morning. We're going to take communion together. And then Charity's going to sing the song clean. If you walked in today and you were not able or had the opportunity to grab a communion cup, if you just raise your hands, one of my deacons are going to bring me one. There's, there's several of us around. I want to encourage you as you come in this, every Sunday for this year, just be looking for this. If you're in the cafe watching with us today, thank you for being here with us. There is a table up there by the TV that has some communion cups, and you can go grab some uh, for yourself today. As everyone is getting served, we have read the scripture today. And I want you just for a moment to turn your mind to that place that would have been the first institution of communion. It would have been dark. Jesus with his disciples were in the upper room. The Bible says that as they were there, they had mealed together. And Jesus knows he's about to be betrayed. And while Jesus has been telling the disciples this for quite a long time now. They, they still aren't gathering everything that he's saying. So in this moment of their, their ignorance where they don't understand, Jesus is still trying to teach. And he's there in the middle of the Passover meal. The most significant moment for the Jews as they remember their flight from Egypt. And he takes a piece of bread. If you would grab this he holds this over them. The bread would have been flat, had these stripes on it from how they cooked it. As the bread started to swell up, they would have poked holes in it to let the steam out. So this striped and poked bread said, this is my body. Within the next few hours, he was going to be striped and he was going to be pierced. And he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.